You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bloom in Tech. I'm your host, David Bloom, talking to you here on the shores of sunny Santa Monica, California, about the collision of technology, entertainment, and media. Lots of good stuff going on. This last week I had the chance to sit down with two of pop culture's nerdiest superstars, the number two all-time winner on Jeopardy, Ken Jennings, and Richard Garfield, who created Magic the Gathering, the humongously successful collectible trading card game, the first and still the champion in that interesting space. They have partnered to create a trivia card game that launched this week on Kickstarter. It's called Half-Truth. It's being launched through the crowdfunding site in concert with the game unit of digital media publisher Studio 71. Half-Truth relies on a deck of cards with questions that each feature six answers, half of them correct, and they're trying to create a game that's a little more accessible to those people who aren't hardcore trivia buffs. They pull from a wide array of topics. It's uh, really interesting stuff. Jennings, you may recall made his name after a record 74-match run of wins on Jeopardy in 2004, which is hard to believe. It's been 15 years. He won $2.5 million there and since has added another million to his Jeopardy winnings uh, through various special all-star Jeopardy competitions, etc., etc. He co-hosts a podcast called Omnibus Want with John Roderick and has some funny things to say about that. And he also writes often and substantively about trivia. One of his books, Brainiac, is the reason he and Garfield got together. I think it's a really fun conversation. Garfield, you know, created this game that when he was working for Wizards of the Coast, which is now a Hasbro unit, worked on it, worked on it, got it out there. No one really knew what to make of it, but it has just continued to be a powerhouse. Now they have esports tournaments around it and all kinds of other things. It is a uh, hugely successful, played by millions, and obviously they would hope to have some of that success with Half Truth. It's a very different structure, as they'll talk about in the interview. I think you'll really enjoy it. These guys are pretty funny in their own way and really interesting and super smart, and I really enjoyed the conversation. I think it will be something that's going to be uh, successful, but they're using Kickstarter not so much to raise money, but to raise awareness and literally get a fan base of enthusiasts, a core fan base, engaged. And I think we're seeing that more and more with Kickstarter for some kinds of projects that are almost certain to be able to do well. But they want to have a good start out in the market. And the way you do that is to basically market test through Kickstarter to find who cares and how you can connect them to it. And they're invested in seeing this thing that they've invested in do well. So I think it's an interesting approach to what used to be just a way to raise money. Uh, This is designed to raise money, not so much in the short term, but very much in the long term. Anyway, after a, a little word from our sponsor, we'll be back with the conversation with Ken Jennings and Richard Garfield. Hang on. And we're back. Now let's go to our conversation, uh, not that long ago, just about a week ago now, with Ken Jennings and Richard Garfield about their new card game, uh, trivia card game called Half Truth. 
welcome. Uh, thanks for getting in line. I, uh, I'm, I'm curious about nothing but the truth, about half-truth. You guys, I think, are both up in the Seattle area, right? I noticed you both have a, a University of Washington connection. Is that Where did you guys connect originally? Uh, it was, it was uh, in the Seattle area, uh, read Ken's book, Brainiac, uh, about 10 right. years ago, and uh, uh, was uh, really taken by his description of trivia and his love of trivia and what, what he regarded as an art, the art of trivia. I thought that uh, making a game to bring that out uh, uh, would make it, make it more accessible for other people might, might be a lot of fun. And so a couple of years later, I contacted Ken, and, and uh, that's where we are. So when you say making it more accessible to other people, what does that mean? I mean, uh, trivia is either you're kind of good at it or you're kind of not good at it. How do you make it more accessible other than bar quizzes? I think people have the, I think too many people have the mistaken idea, uh, idea that trivia is not for them. That trivia is for a very small group of very geeky, mostly middle-aged men who like to sit around talking about vice presidential middle names and baseball statistics. And in fact, you know, I think in modern culture, everybody's kind of a knowledgeable geek about something, about whatever their thing or hobby is, you know, whether that's reality TV or baking or YouTubers or whatever. I think we're always surprised by just how much we actually know. So the idea of half-truth was to create a, trivia, a framework for a trivia game that would make people feel smart when they played instead of just having the experience we've all had playing a trivia game and just feeling dumb about what we didn't know. Now you, yeah, uh, and, what, and what you just uh, what what you said there is is how I went into Brainiac thinking that uh, either okay. you're you know good at it or not, and uh, when after reading it I realized that uh, trivia was much more egalitarian than I had first thought because everybody knows something, and the uh, the thing is to make it so that, that you have a chance to show off what you know that you don't feel like you have no chance and nothing to work with when you are answering questions you don't know. Trivial Pursuit was huge in its day, still out there, I guess, doing well, though I don't know if they're still putting out lots of updated boxes and stuff like that. But I guess that was probably, I mean, you really got sort of typecast if you were good at, at Trivial Pursuit. You were still, as you said, the middle-aged guy who could talk about vice presidential middle names, et cetera, et cetera. So how how do you evolve that to another more accessible place for the rest of us? Uh, though I have to admit I was pretty good at Trivial Pursuit back in the day when I still had a functioning brain. So <laughs> that's afflicted all of us. There's a there's a few things you can do. Uh, one is, and I, I I certainly enjoyed a lot of Trivial Pursuit, but one frustration that came up when playing is when you have had a, a frustrating evening playing, and uh, the first uh, question, the only question of the evening that comes along that you are the only person at the at the table that knows, and you weren't asked this question. Uh, so I wanted to make it so everybody is asked every question. And then the second thing was I made the game multiple choice because, because that gives you, you, you can get the, the, because then the answer is in front of you and you don't have to jog your right. memory for it if you do know and, uh, and just can't quite recall, for example. But even better than multiple choice, uh, because I began out with six answers, uh, one of them was correct, moved mm -hmm. to six answers, three are correct. So you've got a 50% chance 
going in blind of getting the right question. But because of, because you have the answers in front of you, you've got stuff to work with. You can often eliminate some of them or uh, get a good feeling about one of the answers. And you're only tasked with finding one of the correct answers. You don't have to find all three, although you can do that for bonus points. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, can you get bonus points if you're actually a smarty pants who does know, like, all of it? So, okay. Can indeed. Again, towards the uh, egalitarian nature uh, that I, of the game that I was shooting for, you only get a small bonus for being a, a smarty pants, uh, and you risk it all. So if you want to be cautious and just play for one answer, you get most of the benefit. But if okay. you think you know the rest, you can push your luck and get a, a slight bonus on top of that, which will pay off in the long run, uh, but is uh, kind of dangerous. Early on, Richard uh, had me over for a game night, and we playtested a prototype of Half-Truth. I thought it was fun, and I won the first game, uh, and I was very excited. I thought, well, of course, that's as it should be. But then we ran it back, <laughs> and the second game, I got beat. And I realized, you know, this, it's exactly what Richard says. This is a game where the trivia know-it-all will have an edge, but really where anybody can show up and play. You know, the, the, the card will have a category. It'll say, you know, discontinued Olympic sports or something. And then there will be six weird sports. And you can use a combination of intuition and kind of deduction and lateral thinking to try to figure out your way to try to Something I like about trivia, try to outsmart the person who wrote the card and try to figure out where you want to place your chips. I'm curious, does it have some of the same production value? And Richard, famously with Magic, you, I mean, you had some really beautifully designed cards over the years, and I know you've been very involved in that or were heavily involved in it for many, many years of its long-running development. Are you going to have uh, imagery and things like that on here, there's just going to be questions. I mean, what's, what's it going to look like from production values? What's the vision here for it, presuming you're raising the money? It's, well, it's going to be graphically nice to look at. We've got good graphic artists working on it, but the, the cards themselves, having the questions on them really take up most of the room, so it's not like each one is going to have mm -hmm. a piece of art on it or something like that. If your target audience is everybody, there's no target, but is there an age sort of minimum you'd suggest that people be to play this? I think it's a family um, game. I just took the word ape shit off one of the cards in, in, in an editing path <laughs> under the theory that, uh, you know, we'll keep it PG for the, for the kids. I think it's a party game that, that anybody can play because, you know, you never know what the next card is. It might be about something weird like you know nothing about, like hockey or country music, or it might be your thing. So I would say that probably most 11-year-old boys be totally into the word ape shit. So that's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just yeah, for the parents, for the, not for the, the kids. Yeah, it's more for, yeah, it's more for the parents, so they feel okay about it. And how many people typically would play? Is there a limit to, like, how many in, in a single match could play? Yeah, right now it's uh, six, six players. That's uh, sort of what, what the components support. There's no reason why more people couldn't play uh, if, if we supported it, you know, if we provided more components. I don't think, I mean, you could play with teams. Uh, I, I, we have done that, I think, which is, of course, standard for a game like Trivial Pursuit. So I, I think you could play more uh, as teams. But, but anyway, six is the middle of the road. That's the max the game supports. Sure. I guess I'm sort of curious with Brainiac. I know that's sort of about the history of all this, and it certainly was... Uh, a, a brain fuel for Richard. But Ken, what's your thoughts about the, the, the role and purpose of trivia and the kinds of folks that's made you a lot of money 
uh, though you might have done okay as a computer programmer anyway. What is it about trivia and in writing Brainiac and now all the, I guess you still do a weekly newsletter, I believe, on trivia. What is it about yeah, it that, that holds Go charm ahead. for you? I think it's just a great feeling when something in your brain actually pays off in real life. Because we have, we have this amazing evolved ability to know just hundreds of thousands, millions of things, and most of them never, ever come up in real life. And that's just yeah. an amazing epiphany <laughs> when, like, you, you feel like you're valuable when something in your head pays off. And so my philosophy of trivia has always been, you know, just that, like, people should feel smart. People should be surprised by how much they know. And I think because I was raised on Jeopardy, I really like a trivia question that is not just, hey, do you know this? Or don't you? You know, Jeopardy clues often have little hints and red herrings, misdirection, jokes, puns. Lots you know, of lots there. of puns. That's that's going back yeah, to the middle-aged sure. white guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like it's almost like a little puzzle or a riddle where you're trying to you're trying to outwit the person who wrote it. And I've always kind yeah. of liked that little that little battle of wits element. You know, that's what makes it an art and not just you know who hit more home runs than who in 1948. You know, and we've tried to we've tried to make sure half truth really foregrounds that. The book itself is since you did something of a history of trivia as well. Tell me a little bit about is the will to trivia an innate human impulse, or is it something that was isolated in Newton's lab, or, or <laughs> where, where did trivia? Do you have do you have do you know about the history the trivia of trivia? Surprisingly recent, actually. I think maybe because it took the human race to accumulate enough things that everybody knew, you know, until, until the middle class was broad, broadly educated. You know, trivia didn't really have a lot of meaning. So, the, you know, books full of kind of strange facts about the world. I mean, I guess you can go back to Pliny. But really the idea that a book would just be a list of weird facts, that only goes back to the Victorians. And the idea that well, you would, but you would you ask had each the, other... But you, but you had the cabinets of curiosities. That was... Sort of like that, right? Yeah, you, that would be um, that would be objects, you know. Like, look at this weird yeah. shell. Look, look at this weird yeah. uh, taxidermied sloth or whatever. Sure. And that was kind okay. of a marker of marker of affluence, and uh, but also you're right, smarts. Like, uh, my my knowledge is global. People would display maps if they were kind of the rising Dutch middle class. But right. the idea that you would ask each other questions about this stuff, that's actually 20th century. I think it kind of rose out of U.S. Army intelligence testing, you know, around <laughs> World War One, And then the crossword puzzle boom around the same time, the teens and 20s, kind of put people, put people in mind of, you know, the idea that you could just sit and stare at, you know, chew on a pencil eraser and stare at a question until you figured it out. And so the, the combination of those two things, the crossword puzzle fad and intelligence testing, led to the first trivia bestsellers in the 20s. Mm-hmm. And then it periodically comes and goes as a fad. The baby boomers did a great job because they love to remember and talk about their childhood. So a lot of 20th century trivia yeah. is kind of powered by, <laughs> by boomer nostalgia. Remember Howdy yeah. Doody? Remember Scrooge McDuck? Remember uh, Have Gun, Will Travel? <laughs> boomer, boomer navel gazers, right. right. I got it. Yeah, they, and now uh, the, they the, do. The, the 90s kids are doing the same thing, exactly. Remember Saved by the Bell? What was the name of the... So a lot of it's nostalgia powered, I think. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, a, a whole bunch. I mean, actually, the whole half the uh, development slate for Disney seems to be uh, nostalgia-driven live-action versions of '90s-era films, and obviously, you've got things like Saved by the Bell popping up on Netflix, a remake or whatever, and all these other things at 90210. It's, and I think that's valid. Like, if you're playing a trivia game like Half Truth, 
and you get a question yeah. right about Archie Comics and that fills you with happy memories of childhood, sure, why not? I mean, it shouldn't be our only American art form, which is, <laughs> which is kind of a right. bummer about Disney. But, uh, <laughs> but in, in a trivia game, you know, why not have that little good feeling? Uh, yeah, more, and it's not trivia isn't just about nostalgia for a long ago TV show that you happened to watch over and over again when you were ten or something. It can be many other things. Do you have, given your all's backgrounds, do you have more technologically focused things too, or is it mostly like what are the sorts of spaces where you plunder for questions? We worked up a whole distribution just to make sure it was ecumenical as possible. Like there's this many movie questions, but there's the same number of geography questions and there's as many science as uh, rock and roll. You know, we wanted to make sure there was a little of everything, even weird stuff, gardening, punctuation. There's a question about just about anything. Punctuation, that is getting trivial. And I say that as a professional writer who gets quite trivial about semicolons. In terms of doing a Kickstarter. Why Kickstarter? You both are famous in your fields and uh, beloved out there. Um, Richard, you're independent now. Uh, Ken, I guess you're very independent. You both have done very well. Why Kickstarter? Well, I, I've never uh, done a, a major game through Kickstarter. Uh, I usually prefer to work through a publisher. However, right. this idea that you can cultivate a community before it, you know, before the game launches that can help guide the development and what the, the product finally is and lead it immediately into the future rather than, uh, rather than waiting is very interesting to me. And uh, Studio 71 was an expert at that and had done that many times before and, uh, and so wanted to, wanted to give that a try. So they're going to be involved as partners as well to help give it a boost through social media and the like. Is that what their role is going to be? It's so important these days uh, because games, I mean, there are so many games out there getting eyes on the game so it gets a fair chance. It's hard to arrange sometimes because there's so much drawing people's attention and uh, people's uh, time is so precious. In terms of cool premiums, anything out there? Because I've written about some of these things over the years and found them very interesting. Any cool premiums that you guys know of that will be offered? I'm not sure what has been committed to, but the things I think we're heading towards are uh, improved uh, components, extra questions, and some of the higher level things, uh, including uh, stuff that Ken and I sign. Some of the more exciting things were uh, being able to contribute questions with credit that will be printed in future sets get your own get your own question in the game it, it's like a walk-on role in a movie right it's kind of <laughs> right. like the same thing you know here's, so, here's gary's card there's gary's card already gary was part of this it makes total sense and that's the cool stuff about building the community on kickstarter because people can tell us hey like how come there's not a disney edition how come there's not a a 90s expansion pack what about harry potter you know we can take feedback about like what kind of question expansions players would like right to right so things they not only things they want to specialize in but um in in future sets you know they may want more you know just more movie questions or you know some questions about fashion or the broader the palette we're that we're using the 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 better and we've tried to be as broad as possible but there's nothing like engaging the community to to make it even broader Richard, you have been making games for a very long time now, probably a quarter of a century or more at this point, right? I mean, more like 30 years, I guess. What makes a good uh, game? 
going to vary a lot from group to group what works for a particular group because people are looking for so many different things. Uh, games are very broad. For me, the best games are ones that get better and better the more you play them, which is you know one reason these days with so many games out there, I find myself falling into this bad habit of playing a game once and then moving on to the next game because I've got to see what else is out there because you really don't get what the best part of a game, which is that, you know, the 10th play is better and the 100th play is better. It doesn't get old like a like a movie being rewatched many, many times usually does. Yeah, like a game like Catan, for instance, is, is, is a great game, but it gets, it that first time you play it, you might not start to understand, even though it's got, well, I don't know, two pages of, of rules or something very simple, but it has a lot of complexity under that in terms of strategy and all that. So the more you play, the more you get that, and the more you can start to do things. And any, any oh. great games got to have that depth, right? Yes. And I, that happened again and again when I was growing up. Uh, I remember, you know, playing my first trick-taking games, how just uninteresting and random it felt at first. But then as I began to understand, be able to operate inside this world, how exciting it became. And then, you know, by the time I was in uh, graduate school and playing uh, bridge or, or hearts or whatever, it just felt like, uh, you know, entering this world. Whenever you start playing one of these games, you, you operate under different rules and you were sort of a master of this world. I mean, I think certainly the gamification of our lives is, is happening in lots of ways, but understanding what those rules are and working within them and understanding in a deeper way is, I think, really a challenge and opportunity. So your, your hope is to give people enough that they will want to keep coming back and playing and, and diving into this. All, something I always aim for is, uh, is, is something where the game gets better and better. You have time for, what, Christmas of next year? No, this year. Oh, this year. Wow. Okay, so you're well along then in this process and just hoping to you really use this, it sounds like, as much. I mean, just because I know the process of printing up an adequate amount of these things can be a challenge. You're hoping to get some money here, but also really this is engaging a community and using Kickstarter as a marketing and connection machine, right? Yes. Yeah, you, yes. Want, you want a small core of enthusiasts who like you know, love the game and evangelize it and influence others. It's, it's very cool to kind of see in action. But I, I, we just switched our podcast from like a corporate network model to just doing it on our mm -hmm. own for donations. And mm -hmm. it looks like we're going to make more money just with from enthusiasts than we ever did by selling ad space, just people who, who want to contribute. And it's kind of great to me that, you know, fan enthusiasm can trump capitalism or consumerism or whatever, even in, even in these days. Well, thank you, guys. This has been fantastic. I really enjoyed the conversation. And so it will be out Christmas time this year, hopefully with that those shock troops of uh, evangelizing enthusiasts to uh, carry the flags <laughs> for you guys or whatever Fingers it is that carries for, for a card game. Exactly. Well, terrific. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate your all's time. Take care. That's our show. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Richard Garfield, the creator of Magic the Gathering, and Ken Jennings, the all-time, number two all-time winner on Jeopardy, who have teamed up to create a new trivia game called Half Truth. Thought it was a lot of fun talking with them and their, their perspectives on so many things. Let me know what you think. Is this a game that you might be willing to try and play? Will you hop on to the Kickstarter? I'll put it in my notes where you can tap into and connect to the campaign. 
Uh, let me know what you think. The site that hosts and syndicates my podcast, Anchor.fm, makes it easy to leave audio comments. I love them for that. I also make it easy for you to, if you really like what I'm doing, to become a contributor. And I would love that to help keep the wheels of this massive media machine uh, oiled and rolling. Regardless of that, if you like the show, please rate, review, subscribe, share it, get it out there in the rest of the universe. I would appreciate that deeply and more than you'll perhaps ever know. In the meantime, I hope you're doing well and I hope your life is anything but trivial, but you find time for games and play, laughing and loving. That's the best we can hope for in this hard, cruel world we're all making our ways through. Anyway, this is David Bloom for Bloom and Tech. I will talk to you soon again. In the meantime, over and out. You've been listening to Bloom and Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone. Thank you.